just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name is Johnny Ball and I'm the host of Speaking Influence. This is a show where we weekly delve into knowledge, skills, experience, stories and secrets of some of the world's best influence and persuasion experts. And we have in-depth conversations with people who are out in the world applying and even teaching the tools of ethical influence and persuasion, and maybe even sometimes looking at the not-so-ethical side of things. Now, our guests tend to range from successful authors and entrepreneurs, secret service members and psychologists, marketing and branding experts, even the occasional professional comedian and world champion in public speaking or storytelling. We've had former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaching, professional stylists, political speechwriters and public speaking experts that every expert gives our listeners a chance to share their knowledge and experience and turn it into actionable information that you can use to build yourself a deeper understanding of how the world of influence and persuasion works or the various aspects of it to become a better wielder of the weapons of influence and persuasion in life and in business which hopefully leaves all of us a little smarter and better off than before we started my guest today is a great example of one of the things that I love to say very often, which is that to know and not to do is to not truly know. Ancient wisdom attributed to Lao Tzu, who is the author of the Tao Te Ching. He is considered to be one of the wisest men who ever lived. And I do believe that we don't really know or understand stuff until we are using it. And many of us have great ideas and even great intentions, but we don't do always a lot with them. My guest today is someone who has done a lot with her gifts. She has just got out there and done it and has gone on to write, to speak, to even try her hand at comedy. We're going to start the show in a slightly unusual way with an excerpt from B's book, read by my guest herself, B. Bauman. The plan is bullshit. I repeat, the plan is bullshit. It looks official, and believe me, I've also fallen for this official stamp on my life. Mine was sold to me as a skeleton key when I was eight years old. It was a sparse description about how my life was supposed to be. It was a mere outline. It didn't contain much besides marriage, a house, and motherhood and a hope chest full of fresh linen. I hadn't received a lot of detail about what the plan should look like while I was being raised in the ghetto by a woman who had had eight children and a nervous breakdown when I was born. Still, she and every woman 
within my sphere believed the plan would work. Even if it had not worked for her, she had received the skeleton key and it was her duty to pass it on. Alternatively, I got most of my ideas that there should be a plan and what it should contain from commercials and ads for watches and perfume. Stay tuned for that and more. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that explores the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you have an online business, you need to work on list building. The easiest way to get started for free is ConvertKit. It's recommended by industry pros like Pat Flynn, Chris Ducker, and our very own Johnny Ball. Click the link in the show notes and start building your list today. Welcome to the show. And with me today, I am joined by B. Bauman. You heard an excerpt from her book just before the introduction to the show. And one of the reasons why I'm very excited to talk to B is because she has great experience with Toastmasters, with teaching, with stand-up rewriting. She is a communication coach, and we are going to be discussing all these things. All these things are super relevant to all the things we love to talk about on Speaking Influence. So let me officially welcome to the show B. Bauman. Thank you, Johnny. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I've been looking forward to speaking to you, B, because not only do I love the, the way you write and, and your humor, but you're a real delight to speak with as well. Great energy and really good conversation. And so I, I think it's very important to speak with people like you because you do so many things, but they're all tied around this communication theme in different kinds of ways. Where did that all start for you? Well, it started for me because I'm introverted. And so I fought with that as a teenager and young adult. And communication and English became my passion. I went to New Mexico State and got my bachelor's in English. And I still had no clue where that would take me. And then I realized that I wanted to teach communication when I started teaching English in 2005. People, they were learning the language, but they weren't learning how to come across. They weren't learning those great things we learned from Toastmasters, extemporaneous speeches, and how to clarify their meaning when that gets lost. And I wanted to help people. And so, I decided to become an uh, intercultural communication coach here in Germany. Fascinating. Now, I've had quite a few people from Toastmasters on the show before. Where did your Toastmasters journey begin and what has your experience with that organization been like? It's been wonderful. I started with Toastmasters in 2014, which was great because... I was in Germany, but basically at that time, I was hiding in plain sight. I, Like I said, I didn't want to stand out. I wasn't connected with the army or any Americans. So I was sort of free-floating with no one really to talk to besides my husband. And then 
I think he saw an ad for Toastmasters in the paper and I wanted to hear some English. And so I went to a meeting in Heidelberg and was so enamored with the people, with the eloquence, with just people trying to get their message across and building their message. And that's where I built my message. That was ground zero for me. I saw a model somewhere, I think it was Pin Interest, that said, why are you trying to fit in when you were born to stand out? And really, the shackles came off, Johnny. I was speaking at Toastmasters. I won two humorous speech contests, one area and one club. And I just found my voice there. I served as president one year and really found my voice. And since then, I've gone on to join the Speakers Association of South Africa to continue speaking. But the humorous speaking from Toastmasters led me to stand-up comedy in 2018. I've also spoken with quite a lot of stand-up comics on the show as well. And I particularly love it when public speaking crosses over with stand-up comedy in these discussions as well, because that's kind of where I am, I suppose, as well. I love doing humorous speeches. I love doing stand-up comedy. I haven't done any professional stuff, and so I'm not nearly as experienced as yourself. But what is the appeal of that for you? And what are your thoughts around comedy as a means of communication? Well, for me, it has been a way of expressing, and it's been about rebellion, really, Jeremy, because I feel like That's what humor is. It's saying, you haven't knocked me down. You haven't, don't count me out. You know, for us, for communication, it's sort of a a sandblast to your soul to get rid of all that dirt, all that pressure, all of that negativity that clings to us as adults. You know, it's not really kids, but once we become adults, we take on this feeling that we have to be more serious and stand-up comedy humor gives us a chance it's an invitation that we give as comedians as humorists as speakers to say let your guard down you're safe here you're safe with me and that's what I feel communication says it frames for people when you speak with using some communication tactics in your presentation say for for example It helps to frame that presentation and give people, it builds rapport. It helps people to remember your points better. And so I believe humor does so much to help in aid communication. Yeah. I've said a number of times on the show that I, I believe that humor is a key part of influence and persuasion that especially like a lot of persuasion is really about persuading people that something's true and humor tends to have a lot of truth in it although it doesn't really resonate with people but also the the laughter is where people find their agreement in the humor as well where they find that yeah you can really do it. i think it has a lot of power and also creates a great deal of influence for the person who is causing the laughter for those i think it's a, it's a very very powerful rapport tool that gets 
overlooked, I think, in a lot of the scientific studies into influence and persuasion, the more sort of thesis university type things, that I don't know why it has been so left out of that when it's so powerful. Would you agree with that? I totally agree, Johnny. I don't know why it's left out either. I think people are starting to see the power of it. There's now a laughter yoga and comedy coaches or humor coaches for presentations. So I think it's starting more to get into our conscious again. And as we were saying, the power of humor is to build rapport and to put us on an even footing with one another. It's like the handshake means I have no weapon. When you can make someone laugh, that's a way also of saying we have something in common, you and I. Yeah. So it's one thing making people laugh with a few lighthearted comments or jokes in a, in a speech. It's a very different thing getting up on a stage and performing stand-up because it's a different kind of speaking. There are expectations like public speaking maybe some of the laughs you might get it because people aren't necessarily listening to a speech expecting to laugh unless maybe you're in a humorous speech competition mm -hmm. but as a comedian the expectation mm -hmm. is there so the audience is already in a position of okay make me laugh off you go and that's a different perspective how do you feel performing stand-up to just getting up and doing regular old public speaking well, how stand-up is different is exactly what you said. You know, some people are sitting there like, okay, make me laugh. And I actually like that challenge. And for me, what's powerful in humor is the incongruity of a statement to be able to play with language. I, I really enjoy playing with language and I have a persona Basically, in my stand-up, I do sort of a fish-out-of-water stand-up where I talk about being from a town in Germany called a wild back. And my town in Germany called a wild back is like Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon. You know, it's this fantasy town and how I react as an African-American woman being in Germany in that small town. So it's fun for me. I enjoy it. I'm now working on a one-woman show. And I find being on the stage in any capacity helps me to get across what I've learned and also to share with others things that we have in common. And so mm. I really enjoy comedy for that aspect, like I said, of bringing people together. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that I love about comedy, particularly about speaking to comedians, is, is this, that whilst there many people have fear of public speaking, there are many, many public speakers who would never get up and do stand-up and, and never want to. There is a level of bravery above public speaking that comes with stand-up comedy that I... <laughs> have admiration for anyone who get whether they're good or not and if you go on stage and you bomb the fact that you've even done it i have a level of respect for that that is enormous because i know i know how hard it is i know what you're putting on the line when you get up on stage and kind of show bear your soul to your audience through your comedy because a lot most comedy is very personal very personal stuff and if that if you don't get the responses and stuff it's a very personal feeling but when you do 
that's a, I'd say it's also a much higher level of elation, perhaps, than uh, than what you might get with a nice round of applause at the end of the speech, right? Yes, exactly. The payback, the connection, the people who come to you and say, hey, you know, I really love your stuff. It's, it's all worth it in the end. And, and like I said, through Toastmasters, I found that that was my niche, uh, humorous speaking and humorous writing. And so I've just tried to follow it, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that that's kind of a niche for me as well. I mean, I, I'm very much niched in the persuasion and influence kind of thing, but I think humor is such an important part of that. And I think adding humor and that level of engagement into learning, you said earlier, it made things very memorable. I agree 100% with that. It makes stuff super memorable. And people do learn more when they're having fun, people like you more when you're making them laugh. And these are good things to have in your educational output, even if you're not planning to become a comedian or anything like that yourself. I'd like to know a little bit more about your creative processes because you are a super creative person. You're a speech maker, a book writer, a stand-up comedian. There's a lot of creativity going on there. What are your creative processes and, and do they differ for the different things that you create? Well, I start off writing and I don't have a set time of day when I write, but I do strongly feel a need to express myself. And sometimes I write for stories. I'll write a title for a short story or a, a something that I thought a scene or something that I've thought of. And it sort of filters through writing a literary short story or writing essays for communication. I, I, of course, do more research when I'm working with my essays, but still, they're humorous too. I try to also poke fun at aspects of things that we don't think about. Yeah, like my last essay was the death of small talk during COVID. So I do gravitate towards throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and being open to ideas that come to me. I I saw about six weeks ago, I saw an ad for a one-woman show and I had thought, oh, I do want to do a one-woman show. And so then that led me in that direction towards creating that. And I found someone online, June Greatway. She's in the UK and she's done a lot of great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I great. find, you know, you say, you, you tell the universe what you want and the teacher will arrive, you know. Yeah, so. it does always say when you put stuff out there, things start to happen. And I've always found that my network always comes through with those sorts of things as well. So I'm a big believer in having a good, solid network of people out there as well, supporting you along the way. Mm -hmm, exactly. I do daily writing. And I, I wonder if you have a similar sort of practice as well, whether it's your comedy writing or whether it's your article writing. Do you write every day? No, I don't write every day. I, I honestly feel like I should, but I, well, no, I mean, that's actually a lie. I do write every day. I'm writing something every day. I'm writing press releases. I'm writing essays. I am writing something every day, but I don't sit down and say, okay, this is my writing time or have something scheduled like that. I just tend to, because I need time. 
I need time to think and to just let that uh, rhythm of creativity set in because you have the rhythm of the day and get things done. And then when you can relax and I do meditation, but I do commercial meditation, which means I sit on my chair for about five minutes. But if you can relax and let um, that creative energy slow, then you just start putting things down. And I keep notebooks. I have a, a ton of notebooks in my office and binders. And in my purse, I keep a notebook. So I'm constantly thinking of ideas. But that's my way of doing it is just like a hodgepodge of messages to myself, little recordings, any way I can get an idea down. I get it down and then I come back to it. Yeah. It's one of the habits that I have got myself into is carrying a little notebook around with me so that I can always make a note because people always think the idea pops up and I was like, all right, I'll come back to that later. And then. When you do, if you haven't written it down or made a note somewhere or a voice recording, whatever, you will forget. Nearly always you will forget unless you manage to really work hard to keep it in your brain. So having that little notebook is a super good bit of advice that, that I can, uh, can agree with you on there. What I want to move into is talking a bit more about communication because We've, set, we've already sort of circled around this that a lot of what you do is based around communication, but you are actually working with people on improving communication and you're writing about that. So tell us a little bit more about what your focus is and, and how you're helping people. Well, my focus is primarily what I call hive communication, and that's honest, insightful, valid engagement. And what that means is I created a model where, where we try to move from, from listening skills to filtering. And there's six points on this, on this hexagram. And what I try to do with people is first start with listening. And with listening, uh, there's active listening, passive, critical listening, analytical, and selective. So that's the first five points, and that's in my listening modules. And I have six, six different modules, and to go through them, it's um, listening, filtering, understanding, speaking, body language, and then media. That's writing, emails, any sort of media. And I work with people to, to see where their team is falling down and talking to them about communication styles, thinking styles, and that goes into uh, filtering, the way we filter messages. I, I use the four-point model that I uh, found online, which was really brilliant about being able to see how you're filtering a message. And with that, it's building an understanding of how you think and how you speak and then your partner and giving them that grace, giving them that permission really to have their message and then you try to receive it. So that basically in a nutshell is what I'm doing. I'm building modules of communication to help people see 
how their communication style can impact communication, if they're filtering through age, through sex, through social, different social standards and things, how that can impact communication. And then once they can see that, once they recognize where they're doing that, you know, I say awareness is half the battle, then you can start to change for yourselves. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big believer in the power of awareness as being the catalyst for change. And that's the first place we have to start. In your experience of working with people, what are generally the greatest problems that you notice people tend to have in communication then? I, I think it's exactly what you said before about persuasion of wanting to persuade um, a colleague or their boss and not being able to get that message through to them. And so then what I work with um, my team members on is being able to give eye messages and to have reflective listening and to have appreciation for the other person and, and where they could be coming from so that you have empathetic communication. Because it, it's so easy for us to be on me, you know, me FM all day long and, and not really reflect what the other person could be saying with their communication. So yeah. it's really trying to be aware and to understand the message. I think a lot of people do that in a larger scale as well. It's not just the one-to-one communication. It's sometimes that one-to-group thing. I, I work with a lot of coaches and coaching professionals. And as much as I love working with coaches, I do often find that many coaches are very centered on themselves and not really thinking too much about what's going on in the rest of the world or in other people's experiences, which They may have great empathy when you're talking about particular problems and issues and stuff, but a lot of the time just very, very focused on them and what's going on with them. So I I really think that that's so true in what you're saying, but I think most of us do that far too much of the time. Do you think that that is something that is just growing as as an issue where people are maybe just too uh, self-focused rather than uh, community or, or, or world or collective focused? I think now is the time where we're recognizing it because I I totally agree with what you said about coaching and trainers coming in and thinking, okay, I know the problem. And so let's deal. Learning to train yourself to listen to other people and to, yeah, to try to hear what's being said and, and to process that and being aware of yourself. This is where we're at now in communication. We're at this point in intercultural communication. We're at this point in political conversation. I think uh, it's really the zeitgeist. For me, it is. We're at a point where we're saying, hey, listen, listen to me and let me tell you sort of what is happening now. And I think that that is that's real powerful. Like you said, it's that we have to listen to people. And of course, we always want to be heard. That's the other side of the coin. And balancing that, because yeah, you want to be heard, but you also can't forget to listen and to have empathy and ask questions and show consideration and respect for the other person. You mentioned the different kinds of listening before. 
And I was thinking, well, yeah, very often I think when a lot of people are listening, they're often listening to criticize or they're listening to think about what they want to say next rather than actually just being present and, and listening. Where does that come into in listening styles for mm-hmm. you? And how can we be better at just actually listening to what people are saying? Yes. The listening styles, like you said, being an active listener, of course, means that you're engaging, that you're sitting, taking in what the person is saying and trying to put down the filters, trying to just take in the message and ask questions. Asking questions is really powerful to make sure that you're understanding the message. And of course, reflecting what the person's saying to make sure that you are understanding what they're saying. And this is really important when we're talking about important messages, critical messages, messages that can hurt. You still have to be able to balance that. So active, passive is, of course, something that we, if we're aware of it, we can change it. And passive is like you're sitting in front of the TV, you're hearing the person, but you're not really paying attention. This is people who call people and they're typing on their computers or they're doing something else. And so they're not really listening. So again, you want to be in the active state. You mentioned critical. If you're doing critical listening, you, you can reflect on yourself. Why am I being so critical of this message? And then try to check yourself as to why this is setting off buttons in you. Critical and then analytical, of course, is when you are picking up the feeling of the other person or even projecting a feeling on the other person. It's being aware of them. And that's positive that you're being aware of them. But of course, you have to question again to make sure that you're not misreading. And all of this is based on being aware. And that's, that's it, Johnny. Once you're aware of these things, then it's, oh, okay, I'm um, putting on my um, age filter here and I need to put this down. Yeah. So it's, like yeah. you said, awareness is really key. Yeah, I think that, that's an important part of it because I don't think many of us do spend that much time considering what kind of filters we may be listening through and Anyone who's ever studied like neurolinguistic programming, for example, has probably come across this idea of filters, the filters that we put on the information that comes through to us. But it's not just the visual filters or light filters, it is those listening filters as well. And that's kind of thing about, well, I hadn't really given that much thought myself until, until you brought it up there in the conversation. I also feel as well that one of the things that I've got more and more into doing in my public speaking work, in my writing, my humor writing as well is listening more to myself and and i feel that i i've realized through doing like journaling and through all these writings that that is a way for me to listen to myself when i often don't feel that i always get listened to on things Uh, but i often i have realized how little i've actually done of that for myself as well and i think many people don't listen to themselves do you have any particular thoughts around that? Mm, I, for myself too, I'm not a huge journaler, but I do look uh, for 
different matrices that where I can glean information. Like I said, I have one on communication styles and I have another matrix that I received from, I think it was the, the Cook Institute or I'm not sure, but anyway, but I do these processes where I go through sort of question questionnaires. Like you said, NLP is great for helping you to see what emotional things are going on when you're communicating. I listen to to speakers, Brene Brown. So for me, it's more getting the information that's coming to me through resources. And then I check myself and I say, B, are you listening? Are you being courageous? That's also part of, are you being aware? And I do that. I do a lot of, of different questionnaires about personality, about the different types of, of people or the different types of thinking styles. So I, that's how I process. Like I don't process raw thoughts except when I'm doing writing for, for material. Outside of that, I look to other people in the field like Lisa Nichols and like you said, like Brene Brown is someone and I listen to their messages and then I reflect there. Yeah, yeah. reflecting is definitely a, a great thing to do. I think one of the things that I found, I've been working, I mentioned on a few of my shows before on uh, Judy Carter's new comedy Bible book. And you know, she does some presentations and stuff with Toastmasters and stuff. And I've just been finding it very helpful. And that's got me into the daily humor writing, but also picked up my daily journaling. But I've learned so much about myself from doing it because I feel that, that so much of that is how I figure out what I think about things. And I don't always do it. Like you say, sometimes the, there are people you listen to that you can figure that stuff out through them. It's like, yeah, maybe haven't really thought about that. Or what do I think or feel about what they're saying? Or what does that bring up for me? And sometimes when I'm writing as well, I'm writing about particular subjects and thinking, I had never really put my feelings of some of these things down before. And sometimes that ends up being like big rants. Sometimes it ends up just being, I, I really find the humor in it straight away sometimes, but not always. But it definitely does start to clarify thinking for me. And so it's the, the whole creative process, that tuning in uh, and actually getting clarity about what do you think about things, not what other people tell you to think or what everyone else thinks, because we tend to, it's easier to go along with the flow, right? It's easier to think what everyone else thinks. But when you start pulling that stuff for yourself, especially in your own private thoughts, your own private writings and reflections, it definitely starts to get much more clarity about what you think and where you stand on things and where you want to be with things and even what you want for the future. And as well as that, I had so many other realizations about where I want to go, who I want to be and stuff like that along the way. It's, it's, it's proven to be a very powerful process for me. I wonder, as someone who is in the process of working on a book, speaking to someone who I, again, have admiration for this, who has actually written and published a book, what was the desire for you in publishing a book? What got you to get up and, or sit down, I should say, and, and actually write and complete a book? Well, I had the idea for a humorous self-help book as a comedian. I wanted to talk about humor and what it's done for me and also looking at my life. And so I took 
some topics, like I have chapters like, how do you learn who you are? And that was big for me starting out because I ended up in so many different homes and raised by so many different people. And then coming slowly to who I am myself. So I had these, the idea for chapters for parts of my life that I wanted to touch. And that's how I set up my writing is to say that these are things that I want to touch on a mind map per se, that these are things that I plan to touch on and then sitting down and putting it on the paper and like you said, looking at your life and it's writing is so, it's such a, a revelation of, of who you are, exactly what you said, of who you are and what you think. So, and it's courageous to write. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to your book as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to I'm doing a lot of work on the research parts of it at the moment because uh, I like to put out well-researched content for, for a nonfiction book. There will be humor in it, but uh, it's not so much of my story as it is more of a, a, a nonfiction kind of work. But I like to keep it light. I like to keep things uh, keep things funny and entertaining as well. With a book like yours, though, um, we are telling your story and talking about really personal things. Did you have an audience in mind for that, or was it really telling the thing of telling your story? Like it could be for anybody, but I want to tell this story and and maybe have this kind of impact. So you're asking me if I had an audience in mind for, for the book. Actually, I did. I was wanting to speak to other women and young women in particular. Like I said, the plan is bullshit. You know, I tried to talk to that young woman that's out there trying to make her way and to learn because we're always in the process of learning who we are. And we're always in, in of becoming. To me, that's all we're on this planet as a human being to do is to grow and to become. And so I wanted it to be funny and I wanted it to, to not go too heavily into sort of my, my closet. So I dressed the bones up. Let's say that I dressed the bones up and, and bring them out to dance. But that's it. It's more for others, young women to see themselves and to say, yeah, I say one of the chapters, I say, don't fire the help. And who's the help? The help is you. It's having your own back. And so I, I thought these messages needed to get out there in, in a fun way by an African-American woman who also didn't have all the finest degrees or the background pedigree or just to be that voice out there yeah and, and there's a lot of power in that as well and have you had any kind of feedback or responses for you the responses has been positive for the people who have bought the book it's it's also um doing some promotion and i must admit that i'm lacking when it comes to being a, a promoter although I do want to get the book out there in front of more eyes and, and it's a process, but I am proud of the book. And when I hear from people that they enjoyed the book and that it's a great read, 
I enjoy that. And when people say it resonates with them, women have said that it resonates with them and that's what it was supposed to do. So I feel good about that. That's what you were aiming for. Did, did you self-publish your book or did you go down the more traditional publishers route? No, I self-published um, um, the book through a, through a, a service. Yeah, through a service in, in, on Amazon. And I hope my next book will be picked up um, by a publisher. But this one, I just wanted to, to get out, to put under my belt to, to say to people, I'm out here and this is what I'm talking about. What, what's the next book going to be about then, B? I'm thinking it will be about women and communication and how we do that and and so it's still just a kernel in my head at the moment. I don't have a rough draft or anything, but I know that it's coming. Right now, like I said, I'm more um, concentrating on putting together a one-woman show, which is called Pussy Lanimous, which means timid and mm -hmm. cowardly. And I like that idea because to me, life takes courage. And if I can mm -hmm. offer that courage to anyone with my message, then I want to do that. Yes. And, and at the very least, they're going to learn a new word. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I wish you every success with that. Now, you mentioned to me that you would be happy to send a copy of your book to someone who sends in their story to you. So tell us what you're looking for and how they can do, how people can do that. Okay, so they can contact me at info at AnnabelleBauman.com and just let me know how they see their story and where they're at right now. And I just want to, like I say, pay respect to someone else's story. And I will then once I have a couple of stories, I'll choose one. And I will send them the book and I will also put it on my website. Is there a place where we can write down my email address? Um, yes, it will go in the show notes. So you will need to go to the podcast show notes, but that will also appear in the transcript for the show, which you can find at presentinfluence.com or in the uh, Buzzsprout podcasting site for the show as well. Again, there'll be links to all of those things for people. So uh, by all means, send, uh, send your story to Annabelle to be and, uh, and wait to hear back. Hopefully you'll get selected, you'll get your copy of the book and you'll get promoted on the website as well. And this is particularly stories from women, from girls who have, who are looking to follow it, maybe follow your kind of path and, and be encouraged in that kind of way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It definitely, if your story is one of courage, of trying, of overcoming, I definitely want to hear it and, and promote for sisterhood, to promote the idea of the greater sisterhood. Well, that's a message I can wholeheartedly support. I've had many amazing women come on the show before doing similar kinds of things. I'm happy to be a part of helping to put that out into the world as well. It's been a real delight to speak to you. And I think there's so much people can come and learn from somebody like you about communication, about adding humor, having awareness of different kinds of listening styles, different kinds of uh, leadership styles. 
so many things that we've talked about in the show and uh, and so many things we could we could probably spend days going through all of this stuff and i'm sure you do that with people that you work with as well what is the best way for people to find out more about you well my website is annabellebalman.com and you can reach me there. I'm on Twitter at, at B Ballman. And I would say LinkedIn at Annabelle Ballman and TikTok at B Ballman. If you want to see a little bit of my humor, TikTok at B Ballman. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to follow you. I'm already connected with you on, on LinkedIn. I'm definitely going to check out your TikTok. I, I've been getting more into it recently and uh, have been convinced by other people that it's a oh. fantastic tool, especially yeah. for people like you and I who are doing humor stuff. And also they're very actively looking for content creators, educational content creators right now too. So I'm going to be checking you out being on, uh, on TikTok for sure. Great. So I want to ask something that I asked a lot of my guests, in fact, I think every week I was trying to ask my guests this, books or resources that have been particularly helpful for you. If I came to you and said, B, I'm looking for a book recommendation, what would you recommend other mm. than your own book? As you said, if someone's interested in humor, Judy Carter's Bible, the comedy Bible, is a lot of fun to work through. Lisa Nichols, her book is great. Lisa Nichols, what's the name of her book? Lisa Oh, she has several books, and I would just say all of them are great. I just have been reading Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaire, and that was, yeah, that was eye-opening for me, especially if you feel stuck yourself or you feel plateaued to be able to get a fresh perspective on, on money. Is great. RuPaul, Glamour Zone. I love RuPaul, <laughs> the drag queen bee. Uh, his book has many lessons. R- so. Regular listeners to the show will know I'm a big fan of RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race, but I haven't read, I haven't read the book, so I might have to add that to add that to my list. I'm sure it'd be very entertaining. Yes. I'd like to ask you then, if there's one thing that you would really like people to take away from this conversation or from having had you on the show, what would it be? If you take away one thing, I would say that it would be try to be courageous in your communication and to try to listen and be courageous. Those are groundbreaking if you can manage to do that. Absolutely. I I love that. I support that. Annabelle Bowen, thank you so much for coming and being my guest on Speaking Influence. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Something a little bit different for all of us today, but a lot of fun nonetheless. My next episode coming out at the end of the week is going to be with Whitney Lauritsen, and she is incredible. I discussed her last week on my show, and she is someone who could be described as an influencer, but in a really good way, not in the negative way. We have so many associations with that word influencer. What would be a better word? I'll wait to see if you have some suggestions for that, but she is an incredible guest who has done a lot. And we are going to talk about influencer marketing and why so many people are missing a trick with that and lots of other stuff besides a bit about podcasting and really how she has managed to create an amazing online following and to utilize that and why she is using podcasting as part of her own business strategy. Not to be missed, please make sure you are subscribed to the show. And if you've enjoyed any aspects of today's show, we'd love to hear about it. And we certainly love it if you shared it with your friends and your network. 
We are just coming up to 6,000 downloads of the show. So this episode, I think, is going to take us over the line. And I want to thank you for tuning in and listening and being a part of that. We are heading to 10,000 downloads. We are in the top 10% globally now of podcasts. That's pretty exciting. I'm aiming to get us into the top three. That's the next goal, into the top 3% globally. And your help can allow me to do that and keep bringing you amazing shows and wonderful guests as we have been. So if you want to support the show in any other way, financially, buy me a coffee or become a member or maybe even apply to be a guest, check out the Supercar page and feel free to connect with me on social media we'd love to hear from you have an amazing week go and make great things happen